We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theatre Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovana. Today we will be heading south of the border, which to me is the United States because I'm in Canada. And we will be talking to a man who claims to have seen over 11,000 performances in the theatre. Well, today's guest is a critic, playwright, author, and a man who obviously knows a little bit about theatre. Let's learn more about him, his career, and his take on the world of musical theatre. And welcome Peter Felicia to the show. Peter, hello. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem, no problem. So we always start every interview the same way because we want to get to know you just a little bit better. Sure. So who is Peter in 30 seconds? The 30-second bio of Peter. A person who loves the theater immeasurably and wants to share it with other people. And that's why I review mostly favorably because most people don't see what I see and they're going for the first or second time a few times a year. Let them have a good time. Nice. Perfect. Short, succinct, to the point. <laughs> I like that. It's a, you're a good critic, obviously. You, you can get your point across. Well, you know, I don't even like the term critic because it implies something negative. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take a jewel to a jeweler and say, what's this worth? Mm-hmm. Um, he will tell you if it's good or bad. And he's called an appraiser. Now, if I tell you a show is good or bad, why am I a critic? Why am I not an appraiser? And in fact, I like the word appraiser because it includes the word praise. And I like to give praise. You know, the thing is about shows, which you have to realize is that reviews are technically obsolete the moment they're written because shows change, mm-hmm. shows improve. Actors get to know their parts better. Nathan Lane once said to me that um, one of the reasons he became what he is is because he was in a musical called Merlin, mm-hmm. which the producer just would not close. As Nathan said, it was the musical that would not disappear. Maybe Merlin disappeared, but the musical wouldn't. And he said he tried something different every night and he learned what the audience liked and what it didn't like. And as a result, he became the comedian he is today. So shows improve as time goes on because people get more and more secure in their roles. I will admit that there is a, a downside to that curve. Eventually, they get tired of doing the roles, but for the most part, um, they do improve. And so, why? <laughs> well, let me put it this way. I remember a, a young theater company calling me up and said, Can you come on Wednesday? I said, Sure. They called me up on Wednesday and said, um, um, Listen, um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, could, uh, could you come tomorrow night? Because we're not quite ready. I said, How about Friday? Oh, great, great. Yeah, Friday will be ready. No, they weren't. However, <laughs> however, I knew they were going to be. I reviewed what I knew I would see on Saturday or Sunday night. And as a result, what happened? The actors believed they were good because they got a good review. It made them more confident. People who are going to the theater say, oh, we're going to see something good. This is great. Everybody wins. The audience feeds the actors. The actors feed the audience. It's, it's a nice way of doing things. I like to be a theatrical matchmaker. When I see a show, I don't care if I like it. I'm saying, okay, who would like this show? Let's get that audience in here. That's important to me. That, that's so that's so i love your, your the way you put that because people ask me my opinion on shows and i'm like it doesn't matter what my opinion is because it's different from yours just go and see it and experience it 
Um, oh, indeed. You know, I mean, I had a friend who was hypercritical. Everything was no good, terrible. I used to take him to the theater and he used to sit there stone faced. And one time we were at a show where Jerome Avenue was mentioned and he laughed hysterically because he grew up on Jerome Avenue. You know, people relate to what they relate to, the, the experiences they have, they identify with them, so on and so forth. And so, you know, it's it's all subjective. And uh, so many of us say, I could really relate to that show. Yeah, well, some people couldn't and some could. And, you know, you talk to the people who can relate to the show and say this is for you that's what's important to me for sure is there a certain day that of the week or into the run that you like to go see it because do do uh, we'll call it appraisers go on uh, <laughs> opening night or because me personally i don't like going opening night because it's it's already got the energy the hype it's got the the friends the family the everything i want to see it like two weeks into the run on a, like a thursday is, is there okay with yourself well, um, frankly, um, when it comes to Broadway and off-Broadway shows, we are told, uh, here are four dates, choose which one you want to go to. Okay. And while there are exceptions to the rule, I mean, if you say there's a death in my family or I'm having a birthday or I'm going away, I had made trips to go on a cruise. Um, well, you know, then they'll they'll play ball with you after the run. But they really prefer in New York, off-Broadway and Broadway to go during the four dates, which come before opening night. You are rarely, if ever, invited to opening night. Why? Well, because shows cost so much to put on now mm -hmm. that there are so many investors that they have to be accommodated on opening night. There was a time when there weren't that many investors for a show because shows weren't that expensive. And so as a result, you know, there, you could invite the critics, you know, and but now there are so many more critics who write for internet sites uh, people call them amateurs. I do not. I do not. I think they're the voice of the people. And I think they're very valuable to have the, you should pardon the expression, common man telling the common man who's reading uh, what he likes. Because I think they have more in common with people than many critics. Let me give you an example. All right. So there's a young critic I gave hell to because he wrote a review of a Christmas musical. And he said, and he did it as a letter to Santa Claus. Dear Santa, can we have a moratorium on these Christmas musicals? I'm sick of going to them. I've been to four this week. I gave him hell. That's not your job. We're not concerned about your problems. You tell us which of the four shows is the best and which one isn't. That's what you do because people out there are not going to go to all four shows. You get in free. Okay, fine. Yeah. You can even bring someone with you, which is really amazing when you think of it, that they let you bring a guest. When anybody else goes to work, do they bring a guest with them? No. Anyway, so I said, you know, it's not fair of you to do that. A family of four or maybe more that's going to go to a Christmas musical, because Christmas musicals tend to draw families. You know, that's four tickets and tickets are expensive. Tell them which is the best one. Who cares about you and your problems? Yeah, I thought it was really terrible. And um, I hope he's really seen the light. Yeah. Do you have any advice for actors or writers or whomever is involved in a show that gets critiqued when they read something about their show, positive or negative? Like, do you have any advice for them to how they should feel or react? Well, I do know that uh, many actors say they don't read reviews. And, you know, I didn't believe that until Amazon started and my books started getting reviewed on Amazon. I don't want to see those reviews, uh, yeah. pro or con. I just don't dare. That's when I started believing actors really, truly do not read reviews. The ones who say they don't. Some do. Some say, no, um, you know, maybe I can learn something. And, uh, you know, that's a healthy attitude as well. Um, but I'm, I'm never offended when somebody says to me, I didn't read your review. Never. I understand that point of view. And again, um, I tend to give constructive criticism. Now, that doesn't mean I have all the answers, but usually when I see a show, what I'm thinking is, 
if I were writing this, what would I do? How, what would I change? Would I change anything? Um, and the thing is, even if I think I have the most tremendous solutions that solve every problem the show has, it doesn't mean that I have, because people who have lived with this show day in, day out, day in, day out, probably have even tried some of the suggestions I've had and found out for some reason I can't think of yet that they don't, it doesn't work, you know? So as a result, you know, people have to take everything with a shaker full of salt. And should they care to read the reviews? Yeah, they might get something out of it. I will say there have been some shows that have taken um, my advice, um, Newsies, which was a hit, any Warbucks, which wasn't, I mean, you know, so you know, yeah. who says I have all the answers, um, you know, but I, I do the best I can. I just, you know, the way I put it, I cast my three electoral votes in the United States. You may not know this, but yeah. of the 50 states, the least number of uh, votes is three for uh, Vermont. And um, I forget what Maine, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I always press, uh, put it that way. May I cast my three electoral votes? <laughs> is there a show that you, you critiqued? And then you saw again and you changed your mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid that is true. And it makes me very ashamed that I didn't get it the first time. The one that comes immediately to mind is uh, Betty's summer vacation. I think that's what it was called. It was a Christopher Durang play. And I just didn't get the point of it the first time. And um, the second time, oh, I see what this is. Frankly, please don't ask me what the differences were, because this was a long time ago. Yeah. And while you say I've seen over 11,000 shows, it's now over 12,000, frankly. Wow. So, you know, they 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 tend to um, disappear uh, yeah. more readily. And I'm not getting any younger, you know, so that's part of it as well. But, but the thing is that um, I do have – I've had that happen. And – when producers ask me to come out of town to see their shows, I say, I will only come if you let me see it two or three times, because uh, that's when I really uh, can see uh, things. Because, you know, sometimes a piece of information you miss in the first act uh, turns out to be vital and yeah. you missed it. I mean, just last night I was seeing a show and during something that you could tell was the punchline. This was going to be a great joke. Somebody sneezed loudly and I couldn't hear what the line was. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. the, you know, the, the, the movie critics and the TV critics have it so easier now. They get DVDs in the mail or streaming, whatever they have, and they can zoom back and let me hear that again. Oh, was that? They can watch it twice, you know, all that kind of stuff. Not us. We, we have to do it without a net. We have to do it right then and there and do the best we can. Yeah, and that and that's not an easy thing, like you just said. It's 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 in immediate in the moment. If you miss it, you miss it, and there's nothing you can do about that. However, what has happened over the years, it has made me respect the guys who did it way back when, because a they had to do it right away. They used to have to go right back to their office after mm -hmm. the opening night and write it right then and there. And not only that, they were using typewriters. They were using typewriters. I mean, imagine the whiteout, all that kind of stuff. Clive Barnes, uh, who was the critic for the Times from 67 to about 78, um, the New York Times, um, wrote a review that was highly criticized of uh, an Arthur Miller play called The Price. Um, people said he contradicted himself in the second part of the review from what he said earlier. And um, I remember being on a panel with him. And somebody asked him, um, was there ever a time that you felt you were um, treated badly? And he said, yes, because what happens is in those days, they used to say to us, we've got to put the page together. So as soon as you know, we're going to start your review on page 22, but it's going to jump to page 24. 
for. So give us what you have, um, X number of words to fill 22, and then we'll come back for 24 later. And, you know, he simply lost track of what he had written. I mean, that's real pressure. And, you know, the beauty of having these four previews that we can choose from before opening night is we have that much time to write, to think. I mean, so many times I've seen a show which I think is truly terrible. I go to bed, I get up the next morning, I shower, I feel good, you know, suddenly I'm not as mad at the show as I was, you know, so I think it really is a good idea to uh, have us pause as opposed to the heat of the moment where we we might really um, say things that we might regret later. For sure, for sure. Uh, changing gears, um, you were the president and chairman of the nominating com- committee for the, the Drama Desk Awards, which is very interesting. Um, what are some of the differences between getting nominated for the Tonys and the Drama Desk? And uh, like, what criteria uh, do you look for in a show to get nominated? The difference between Drama Desk and um, the Tonys is the Drama Desk includes Off-Broadway. So the Tonys is simply a Broadway um, award and um, the Drama Desk um, includes both. Um, on the other hand, there's also an award called the Lucille Lortel Awards. Lucille Lortel was considered the queen of off-Broadway. She was the one who really got it started. She developed a lot of shows. And so those awards are only for off-Broadway. Broadway need not apply. Then there are the Theater World Awards, which um, I am the um, chairman of, which um, gives out awards simply to people making their Broadway or off-Broadway debut. So that can even be somebody like Tom Hanks, who's a noted star. We gave him an award because he was awfully good when he made his Broadway debut. Yeah, he was a superstar, but nevertheless, he made his Broadway debut. He was eligible. (laughs) So he was good. So we gave him the award. Funny story. Uh, Tom Hanks, of course, is um, a, a very desired property. So as a result, his people said to us, listen, you've got to put him on first because he has something else he must go to. So please, of course, for Tom Hanks, we'll put him on first. <laughs> he spoke for 22 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem with that is when people see the first guy do it, they say, oh, I can talk as long as I want. We were there all night. I'm telling you, it was oh, terrible. Wow. <laughs> Did, do you see a lot of overlap between the, the the drama desk and the Tonys in, you know, the winners and that sort of thing? Or do you find they're different? Uh, I'm afraid I have to confess that um, so many times the voters of the drama desk tend to go to more Broadway shows than off-Broadway shows. And as a result, it does skew yeah. in favor of Broadway. I'm always delighted when a show um, is off-Broadway during the period of time when we do our nominations and then if it moves to broadway fine dear evan hansen and hamilton won drama desk awards before they won tony awards and in fact it made the race more interesting in those years because those shows were no longer eligible in the years when they were winning toadies so other shows got the uh, chance to win um i i'd say it's about 60 40 maybe 65 35 in favor of uh, broadway i uh, i would like to see it different but um the voters do what they do you know we can uh, the nominating committee um there's uh, seven of us and um it's it's quite a good bunch i mean it's a wonderfully diverse bunch um young people old people that means me um <laughs> uh, uh people of color people not of color um gay straight you name it we're a very very diverse group and we're very proud of that uh to get everybody's opinions and at every meeting we hear well in my experience you know blah 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 and of course that's what it's all about to share those experiences oh for sure i think more people should go to off-broadway shows i i I try to make, I check those out first to see what's available. And then I will 
you know, check out the Broadway later to see, you know, if I can't get any of the off Broadway, because there's just so much new stuff or different stuff or just exciting stuff there. And I think more people should head out there. Is there a way to get more people to the off Broadway shows? Do you think? Well, truth to tell, what I always tell people is when you come to New York and visit, make time for an off off Broadway show. <laughs> There's yeah. that uh, demarcation as well. Those are shows that are in very 99 seat theaters. Um, needless to say, you're going to pay less than you will on Broadway. You're going to pay less than you will off Broadway. And you should have that experience at least to see what it's like. So yes, I'd like that to happen. But in terms of off Broadway, yeah, um, there is uh, such a fluctuation because um, a lot of off Broadway shows are from not for profit theater companies, which only have limited runs four weeks, yeah. six weeks, that type of thing. Um, there's far less crop rotation on Broadway. Why? Well, think about it. Um, I, I did a book on the 1963-64 season, which was an incredible season for stars. I mean, Barbara Streisand, Carol Channing, Carol Burnett, Helen Hayes, Mary Martin, Robert Preston, um, I'm, I'm, I'm Olympia Dukakis. I'm not even remotely, Julie Harris, not even Peter Falk. I, yeah, I'm telling you, it, it was just an incredible year. So I did a thing, uh, a book on that season. And what I found out was that that season, there were 16 million tourists that came to New York. Now, before the pandemic, it was up to 44 million. All right. Now, theaters are basically the same size. Oh, they've crammed a few seats in here and there. Yes, they have. But for the most part, they're the same number of seats. So that's why shows run longer than they used to. Um, it's amazing when you think that something like Gypsy ran 702 performances, an astonishingly good run for its day. Mm -hmm. But today, if you run 702 performances, you may have lost your entire investment. You might not have even paid back. I know shows that haven't. So, so the thing is, that um, shows are going to run longer and longer and longer. So you, when you come to New York as a visitor, you're going to have less, fewer choices than you had before because so many, you, oh, I saw that my last trip here. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, people aren't going to be able to say that about Phantom after February 18th, which I'm told really is a solid date. That's yeah. that's it. Oh. You know, there's not going to be an extension. That doesn't mean I'm right. I'm a, I never <laughs> say I'm right. I only tell you what I hear. That's yeah. the best I can do. But anyway, that's, um, that's the party line that they're closing on February 18th. But for that matter, I mean, the Lion King just yesterday celebrated its 25th anniversary. Mm -hmm. So obviously there are people who came to New York saw it. And of course, there are people who come to New York and say, I want to see it again. But most people who come to New York want to see something new. And their Broadway choices are limited because shows run so long. So yes, off-Broadway, take a look. You'll be surprised. If the title sounds intriguing, go. Yeah. Even if the title doesn't sound... Like, I was in May and I saw one of the shows and I went, okay, let's just check it out. I was blown away by and it. And that was? It was The Islander. Um, oh yeah, the Islander, of course. Yeah, in that yeah. little tiny space uh, in uh, four four uh, sections. Uh, yeah, in arena style. Yeah, yeah, with the uh, the boomboxy type thing in the middle and the yeah. two ladies. Yeah, yeah, I, I quite an impressive thing. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah, it was like ah, let's just check it out. And yeah, it was my favorite thing I saw that weekend. So. Yeah, I'm trying to go see as much off economically too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah oh sure. yeah. yeah. Please, sure. I understand. When anybody <laughs> tells me that, that uh, he or she doesn't go to the theater because it's too expensive, I never say, "Oh, never, no, never mind how much it costs. You have to go see." I always sympathize with that. Uh, I'm telling you, when I was growing up. I can tell you every time the price has changed uh, because uh, it, it meant it was going to be harder for me to go. I mean, I, I remember when a Broadway musical, the first row of a Broadway musical was $9.90. Wow. And then 
on a clear day, you can see where Arabo went to 1190 and 1776 went to 12. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you, I'm, I, I can do this. You know, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, when Chicago went to 1750, I mean, I remember who told me where I was standing. I could take you in that room with the quarter inch thinking, oh, no, because the thing is, once one show raises its prices, every other show says, well, they're no better than we are. In fact, they may very well be better than um, <laughs> than you are. But nevertheless, uh, you do uh, raise the prices anyway. Fiddler on the Roof during that entire run from 1960. 64 to 1971 the prices never went up never wow what you yeah 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 that's really something oh funny story too uh harold prince in 1974 wrote a memoir and he said i i i don't think any show is ever going to run longer than fiddler on the roof Little did he know he would direct a show called Phantom of the Opera that would run four <laughs> times as long as Fiddler on the Roof. Nobody knows anything. William Goldman said that about the movies. It's true about theater, too. Nobody knows anything. Why is Perfect Crime still running? It's been running since 1987. Everybody I know says that uh, when he or she went, 20 people were in the audience. 11 the night I was there. What's going on there? What's going on? I have no idea. But nevertheless, you know, nobody knows anything. No. Well, and let's let's shift over to uh, you mentioned that you wrote a book about 63 and 64. Um, you've written a number of them, but, you know, biggest flops of the season, uh, musicals that didn't awards, uh, Broadway musical debates, uh, disputes and disagreements, which I'm I love that one. Uh, that. <laughs> that one just came out. Yeah, it came yeah. out September 1st. And uh, it's based uh, it's because of my love for baseball, ironically enough. Um, what had happened, I was looking in the sports section of a bookstore and I saw a book called the Boston book of sports arguments uh, was Ted Williams, a better left fielder than Kyle Yastrzemski mm -hmm. was Larry bird better than Bill Russell, etc. I don't know if these names mean anything to you, but I'm from Boston. I know. All those. Yep. <laughs> Do you? Yep. Okay. Um, and I've been to your dome stadium out in Toronto. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, so it, I thought, Whoa, this should be a, about musicals. This, somebody should do this and I should be the one who does it. Um, let's do something um, where people can really debate, dispute and disagree. And um, yeah, because as I wrote in the beginning, you know, so many times people will, will be reading these opinions of mine and say, what? You're crazy. Are you out of your mind? You forgot. And other times you're going to be nodding your head saying, yep, yep, yep. I'm not saying what will happen more often than others, but that will happen, that we will agree and we will disagree and we will dispute and we will debate and all that. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's I, I've never been with a group of um, people like minded people who um, feel differently. I mean, for years um, I've been covering the Tony Awards press night and it's amazing to me how the journalists will uh, certainly <laughs> get their opinions known in that room. And um, and the times before when I was watching the Tonys with a bunch of friends, same thing happened, you know, outrage. The word snubbed is used. The word robbed is used. <laughs> the word injustice is used. The word you're crazy are used. I mean, you know, so, so yeah, we're a contentious bunch. And um, a lot of us, you know, my agent suggested the book um, that, I'm, that I'm doing next, which is called Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, hmm. where, um, see, what I do every Sunday is a podcast 
on Broadway radio, and I give a brain teaser at the end of the um, at the end of the discussion every week. And I'm telling you, people, um, there's a guy in Wichita, Kansas, and a guy in Arlington Heights, Illinois, and I'm telling you, they fight to be first to answer the question. And I had so many questions, I decided to put them all together in a book called Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses. And my agent said, you should call it brain teasers for Broadway know-it-alls. And I said, well, you know, even though we do think we know it all, you know, there's something pejorative about that term. Genius is elevating. Know-it-all is uh, you know, a little yeah. snarky. So <laughs> so anyway, uh, she exceeded, even though she um, likes to brag that she's uh, great with titles. So. Well, what are the inspirations for these books? What is there a moment when, uh, obviously for the, for the, the one that you're right, talking right, about, sure. right. you, you got the other one, but what are the what are the inspirations for writing these? Well, one of them uh, again came from baseball, and that was um, one called Broadway's Most Valuable Players. Mm. And um, what I did was choose awards that are given in baseball and apply them to theater. The ones that they don't give out, like Manager of the Year, who was the mm. best producer? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, comeback Player of the Year. Who, who do we think was all done and look uh, came back and um, really uh, surprised us, you know, reliever of the year. If somebody uh, came in uh, when a show was faltering, like, for example, right now, uh, if I were doing it, Leah Michelle, who's uh, taken over in Funny Girl, would definitely be the reliever of the year because the woman she replaced uh, was found wanting by so many people. And now everybody's raving about Leah Michelle. I haven't seen her yet. I'm I'm, I'm I'm scheduled to go because they've asked me to write liner notes for the um, cast album. Mm. So I will be going soon. But all my friends who saw both these women said, indeed, Leah Michelle is over the moon. And um, the other woman who was in it before um, was not good at all. So um, so she would be the reliever of the year. And that, so that's what I did. Um, mm. And I also chose the most valuable player. It's all very nice to give out awards, um, 20 odd awards for Tony's. That's fine. That's great. However, yeah. Who was really, of all those people, the most valuable one? In fact, it might not even be somebody who won the Tony. might be some for some other reason entirely. So um, there are all sorts of um, opinions there as well. But that was the motivation there. And um, my love for baseball uh, certainly helped me there as well. Well, I'd, I'd love to have you then on the baseball MVP choices, because sometimes they don't choose the actual MVP. They just choose, you know. <laughs> the most popular or who that sounds or to me like you're ready for a debate a dispute and a disagreement <laughs> so yeah um uh, uh, well i know what are you gonna do <laughs> that's, what that's are it. you gonna do yeah <laughs> so speaking of baseball and musicals I, I have a question uh since you are such a big baseball fan uh when it comes to musicals about baseball we've obviously got damn yankees and the little known diamonds but what moment or event or person do you think would make a good musical about baseball? Um, yeah, it would have to be a larger-than-life character because musicals are uh, basically involved with big, um, big characters yeah. and big events. So, um, I, I, because he's notorious, um, I, I think the Black Sox scandal would certainly um, apply as a good. Yeah, there was a guy who knew that what was going on he wasn't involved he didn't take any money mm -hmm. but he knew and he didn't want to squeal on them and he was banned for life i don't know his name oh, but i remember, I remember reading this yeah and yeah. i remember um um his going to the commissioner and pleading his case and so on and so forth and the commissioner saying you can talk all you want it doesn't matter 
There is nothing you are going to say that's going to make me say, oh, 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 oh. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Then nothing because yeah. we have to protect the integrity of the game. And that's all there is to it. So forget it. You are banned for life. Um, that, that might be um, an interesting sidelight. What happened to this guy? I don't know if that's the main event, but mm-hmm. he's an interesting character to me. I think about him a lot as I'm proving right now. So, um, but you know, the obvious one would be somebody like Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig, but you know, when you think of it, so many of those stories about rising out of nothing to become wildly successful and then perhaps being temperamental seems a little, um, a a little threadbare, you know, I was thinking just yesterday about a movie which was made into a musical, but it never got very far. I don't know. Do you know the movie Bingo, Bingo Long and his traveling all-stars? It's about the black leagues. It's, it's, um, there's a guy, um, you know about the Black Leagues, right? The Negro Leagues yes. that used to. Yeah, okay. So anyway, um, there was a movie about it. Bingo Long was this superstar, properly known, um, probably based on cool Papa Bell, um, who was considered so fast in, in stealing bases that somebody said he could turn off the light and be in bed before the light went off. He was that fast. Okay. So anyway, he was a great superstar. People who liked the Negro Leagues used to come out and they couldn't believe how good he was. But he was playing in the 40s. And by the time Jackie Robinson was promoted from Montreal and went to the big leaves, he was too old. He had had his day. And he had this ragtame tag team um that they used to travel traveling all-stars and they were terrific but one by one he was losing them because now they could go to the major leagues and he couldn't blame them he couldn't i mean it was just a terrible thing that um that uh, time was not in his side we do hear timing is everything and certainly turned out it's a very good subject for a musical and um i wish somebody would try it again or if it could be um, maybe it's, you know, somebody once said to me, I don't know if you know this story. Um, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. So they're trying out in Washington. Mm-hmm. Nobody is responding. Frank Rich, who was the critic for the New York times claims the day he went, there were 50 people in the audience. Sounds hard to believe, but anyway, that's what he said. It wasn't working. They called in Jerome Robbins, who was a great play doctor of his time and a great director and choreographer. You don't, he did Fiddler, you know, he did plenty of shows until he went into ballet. But anyway, he was a good play doctor. And he said, the problem is your opening song. You just don't have the right opening song. You've got to let these people know they're going to see a comedy tonight. And Stephen Sondheim wrote Comedy Tonight, which is one of the great opening numbers of all time. And Sondheim said to me, I swear to you, nothing else in the show was changed at that moment in time. And the audience just started responding because they were told they were going to have this kind of low comic time. And that was good enough. So my buddy Ed Lindemann said, how many shows were just one song away from making it it's a very good point yeah. a very good point indeed so who knows awesome uh peter i could talk with you for uh, hours but i know we can't so um, <laughs> i want to i want to thank you so much for coming on today and and i would love to talk with you again uh, well good um when you come to new york let's get together a good for time sure. will be had by both and um so that'll happen for sure thank you for having me i appreciate immeasurably my pleasure now before we we head out how do people find your books? Oh, certainly on Amazon. Um, my last name is spelled F-I-L-I-C-H-I-A. 
Uh, it's a Sicilian word that means complete happiness, and it's very hard to live up to. Anyway, um, so there's that. And um, and they're available in fine bookstores everywhere. If you can find a fine bookstore anywhere, but that's another story. Yeah, I agreed. <laughs> totally agreed. <laughs> I will be promoting it on uh, the, that newest one, uh, The Disputes, on my I appreciate. Uh, social media for sure. All right. Well, Peter, again, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. God love you. We were just speaking with uh, Peter uh, Felicia, writer, <laughs> author, playwright, uh, not critic, um, appraiser. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. Um, tune in next week as we'll be speaking with another guest or guest about their life, love, and passion. That is musical theater. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs>